scripture reading this morning is found in Revelation 1-7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. The sermon this morning by Dean is entitled, The Wonder of the Coming King. Let's just pray before we begin, please. Our loving Lord, we're thankful to be in your house today. We treasure you. We treasure the cross. We treasure that you died for us so that we can be with you for eternity. Help us today to see you clearly. Please have the speaker step aside as the scripture words come forward. In Jesus' name. Albert Einstein did a lot of traveling in his day, and it was always by train. On one of his trips on the train, he noticed that the conductor was coming by to punch his ticket. He frantically tried to find his ticket, couldn't find it anywhere. The conductor said to him, well, he said, don't worry about it, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are, so it's okay. He went on his way down the, down the car, and then he looked back, and he saw Dr. Einstein, this famous, brilliant scientist who had his mind always in the stratosphere, as you know, but yet he had trouble with simple things. He was down on all hands and knees, looking frantically for his ticket on the floor. The conductor came back, and he said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. It's okay. Einstein looked up at him and said, I too know who I am, but what I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> For the modern Christian who has a hold on the Lord and knows the Lord, we know where we're going. And our, our job on this earth is to keep that clearly in focus and share that faith we have with everybody we know. Matthew 24 is a great chapter in the Bible on the second coming of Jesus, which will be our focal point this morning. I have a few introductory remarks, and then we'll get to the, the core of the sermon, if that's okay with you. It has two meanings, Matthew 24. First, prophecy of the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, but more importantly, the second coming of Jesus. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Every time I read the word shall in scripture, it kind of reminds me of General Douglas MacArthur leaving the Philippines in the Second World War. I shall return, and return indeed he did. And you know the rest of that story. These are imperatives, the word shall. Matthew 24, 22, his coming will be sooner than we think. Jesus said it very clearly in Matthew 24, 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Sabbath school we mentioned. When I was a boy, we saw the clock on the cover of magazines, three minutes to midnight. 
Perhaps it's even closer, and I think it is now. This is a stunning promise and prophecy from Jesus himself, his own lips. If he did not shorten that tempestuous time before he came, perhaps the elect themselves would not even be saved. So something awful is going to happen. These are Jesus' words. He lists what is going to happen in Matthew 24 just before he comes. Many will come in my name and will deceive many, Jesus says. He also says wars and rumors of wars must happen. Then nation will rise against nation. Then kingdom against kingdom, pestilences, earthquakes, false Christs, false prophets will arise and deceive many. Some will come and say, behold, he is in the desert. But Jesus cautions, go not forth. It's not me. Jesus lists all these terrible things that will happen. Then the very next verse, what do we find? We find these words from Jesus immediately. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall, it's another shell, be shaken. Then the very next verse, we find these beautiful words. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Then follows these beautiful promises, words. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, we've just read about signs that will happen in the sun, moon, and the stars. Jesus' own words. Let's go back to Joel, Joel 2.21. That was written in 825 B.C., 825 years before Christ. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon and the blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. So I found so often Jesus is talking to me because, you see, I have a hard time understanding things at times. So he said it now at least twice. He thought, well, maybe some people that are hard-headed can get it, okay? Now, Jesus really wants us to know because he had it also repeated a third time in Revelation 6. Let's read it. The first, remember, the book of Revelation is the very words of Jesus and his ultimate authority. The first words of Revelation are, Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass so revelation is all about the seals of God and the sixth seal is what we're talking about now that comes just before the seventh seal in the coming of Christ and I behold and behold when he had opened the sixth seal and lo there was a great earthquake and the sun became as black as sackcloth and the moon became as blood and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth so here's the third time in Scripture that this prophecy is, is, is told to us. Now we realize that the seventh seal follows in rapid order after the sixth seal. And that seventh seal is the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven. So this immediately wells up in our minds. This is judgment time. This is judgment hour. The people who experienced November 
and December of 1833 really thought it was the end of the world. They thought the judgment time had come. And most people at that time did not know about John 5.24. So let's quickly summarize what we've heard. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking to us and saying all the terrible things that will happen. And then these strange celestial sights, the darkening of the sun, the moon to blood, the stars falling from heaven. And his angels with the sound of a great trumpet shall gather together his elect, those who have chosen Jesus for eternity, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, from Bangladesh to New Zealand, from New York to Singapore. When did this happen? I bring to you a newspaper clipping from November and December of 1833. This is a copy of that. It's titled, The Falling of the Stars. On the night of the 13th of November, there occurred one of the grandest and most remarkable sights ever witnessed in this world. It seemed as if the stars in heaven were being hurled from their places and cast unto the earth. It is called the Great Star Shower of 1833. Don't have time to read it all, but here's a few excerpts from it. The greatest display of celestial fireworks that has ever been seen since the creation of the world, or at least within the annals covered by pages of history. This is not a spiritual journal. This is a newspaper of the time. No language indeed can come up to the splendor of that magnificent display. The writers at the time couldn't even explain it in in. In its depth, falling stars appeared like lightning. They seemed like showers of great hail. Francis Schaeffer, the great Christian writer of yesteryear, wrote a book entitled, How Should We Then Live? He was famous for that saying, How Should We Then Live? That saying comes to us today, How Should We Then Live? Realizing that we're one or two minutes from midnight. The coming of Jesus means judgment for all the living and the dead. This fact gives us pause for concern. Am I ready? Do I measure up? You know, at the coming of Jesus, there's just four classes. Those that have gone before to sleep, saved, and the lost. When he comes, the living that are saved, and the living that will be lost. Just four, not more. Um, I have been studying a verse in the Bible recently that gives the answer to all of our worries and concerns. And it's indelibly impressed on my mind. I will never forget John 5.24. The more I study it, the more excited I become. For even though there is a judgment coming, to be sure, that is solid biblical truth. But there is excitement around the verse of John 5.24. I have taken time to look this up in 12 different versions of the scriptures, 12 different versions of the Holy Bible. To my amazement, it just got better. It just got better. They all say the same thing with some different type of wording. And I have before me something that's very impressive. King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, present tense, 
hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but it is passed from death into life. Well, how about Moffat? Moffat's translation of Scripture. Truly, truly, he says, I tell you, who listens to my word and believes him that sent me, has, present tense, eternal life. He will incur no sentence of judgment. He has already passed from death across to life. Death across to life. The Amplified Bible, I assure you most solemnly, and then it goes on to say the same words. The New Living Translation, I tell you the truth. These are Jesus' words. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life right now. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. If that's not enough, how about Weymouth? In very truth, I tell you that he who listens to my teachings and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death into life. Do you need more? New American Standard, truly, truly, Jesus' words, all of these. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me. Then the same wording. New King James, the same wording. New English Bible, in very truth, anyone who gives heed to what I say and puts his trust in him who sent me has hold of eternal life and does not come up for judgment, but is already, already passed from death to life. Phillips, I solemnly assure you, in the same wording. The Living Bible, if you want to paraphrase, these others are translations, if you want to paraphrase Bible, I say emphatically, I say emphatically, that anyone who listens to my message and believes in God who sent me has eternal life and will never, never be damned for his sins, but has already passed out of death into life. So let's just review these very briefly. Jesus' words, verily, verily, truly, truly, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you the truth, in very truth, truly, truly, I say unto you, most assuredly, I say to you, in very truth, anyone who gives heed to what I say, I solemnly assure you, and then lastly, I say emphatically, amazing. The more I studied this, the more excited I got. Then I was stunned when I realized the simple fact of this verse more recently. The reason Jesus could say this so emphatically was, and it's so obvious, yet I didn't, wasn't quite there until just recently. He died the second death for me because when he was on the cross, he took all my sin and all the sins of the entire world upon himself. That's why he can say emphatically, this is what it's about. Furthermore, that day when Jesus encountered that funeral procession with the mother and her only son, the widow of Nain, in that society, you didn't touch anybody. You didn't touch a coffin. No, no, that would contaminate you. Jesus reached out and touched the beer. He would also touch a leper. And it came to me, 
what he was doing. I heard this from somebody else. It wasn't original, but it just excited me even more. What he was doing is, when he touched that beer, he was transferring that death of that boy to himself. Isn't that amazing? When he touched the leper, he was transferring the leprous condition to himself. To die on the cross. Do we understand what this means to us? He died the second death in our place. Oh yes, Isaiah, you said it so right when you wrote, with his stripes we are healed. With his stripes we are healed. Now I no longer see through a glass darkly when I read this verse in any of the 12 translations I've read it in. When I realize this, I just cry out, Oh Lord, this is too wonderful for me. I don't understand, but I just fall on my knees and say thank you a thousand times. We're still not to the sermon yet. I'm sorry. I want to I want to read you something. It's all related subject matter. A good friend of many of us, HMS Richard Sr., been in our home and I've talked to him. One day I went down to his famous library of 20,000 books he had in Glendale. Went with a friend and spent the afternoon with him. And I looked at these books and he had this twinkle in his eye. You know, he just had one good eye, but he, he, his twinkle of face, a smile, just emanated from him. And he told us, he said, well, some people come in here and ask me if I've read all these 20,000 books. And he said, I tell them I've read some of them twice. <laughs> he wrote a sermonette that I want to share with you that's very powerful. HMS Senior. The most wonderful thing to me that is more and more wonderful to me the older I get is that a Christian, when he finishes his work and falls asleep in Christ, does not cease to exist. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. We don't cease to exist. exist. We are unconscious, but we still exist. How? I don't know. But the Bible says so, and I believe it a thousand times yes. I am glad for a no-so religion. Turn to the fifth chapter of 1 John. By the way, have you ever done that? The first chapter of 1 John. The fifth chapter of 1 John. Seven times in that chapter it says, We know, we know, we know. We know that we have eternal life, my friends. I have eternal life. Jesus said, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, that's present tense, he writes, everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Guess what? John 5, 24. I have eternal life. My life is hid in Christ. Then he pens further. Have you ever had a major operation from the time you received the anesthetic until the time you came out of it? You knew nothing about the passing of time. A Christian dies and rises again if it's one day, one month, one year, one century, or one millennium. What difference does it make? He writes, To him it is just seems that he goes through a door from a dark room of troubles and worry and pain 
into a place of light that never goes out. He hears music that has never been heard on this earth since the night when the shepherds watched over their flocks on the moonlit hills of Judea and angels announced the birth of Jesus. He hears singing as all the eastern sky is filled with radiant forms of millions of angelic hosts. What a day. Then we'll meet there by the big river. Flows from the throne of God. And have our first taste of the fruit from the tree of life. And I've told you so often, the mangosteens are going to be this big. And so, my friends, he didn't add that. That was my addition. And so, my friends, until then, until then, have faith in God. That's just the introduction. I'm sorry. The wonders of the coming king. Since I was a small boy, I've been excited about the subject we will talk about this morning. I remember tuning in my little crystal radio set, little rock device, and you put a little copper wire on it, and a little 13, I don't know, I think I was 7 or 8 years old. I knew exactly which spot on that little bumpy rock to put that little copper wire to tune in the Voice of Prophecy, which was HMS Richard's weekly radio broadcast. And I would listen in bed there and... Um, Hear the voice of prophecy singing, Jesus is coming again, coming again. Never forget it. Recently I was, I was driving and up ahead there was an unusual brightness in the sky. Just behind a tree-lined mountain, this light was very, very bright in the sky, illuminating clouds all around it. The thought came to me, could it be, could it be that God has cut it so short in righteousness that it will be now? Other times, out walking under a clouded sky along the ocean, I have seen a bright spot up ahead in the heavens in the brilliantly lighted clouds around the spot. And again, the thought would come to me, could it be, is it today? Could this be the first sign of Jesus coming to earth? Daniel says he will cut it short in righteousness. And so does this other verse. He will cut it short in righteousness. Today my purpose is to review the truth of the second coming of Jesus with you from Scripture. We must remember Jesus said that there was only one person who knows when that date is. And that's his father. And the hour of his coming back to earth. Let us review today these wonderful, magnificent verses from the holy book. One day soon, the greatest day in history will come to us. King Jesus will hear his father say, Son... Today's the day, or tonight's the night. It is time. The earth's time has ended. So let's go get our redeemed ones and bring them home to us. Let us go down and bring them up to their real homes to be with you and I. Go summon the angels, Jesus. Tell them it is time. Let's start our journey. And heaven is suddenly quiet. As Revelation tells us, there's silence in heaven for the space of one half hour. Prophetically, that's more than a half hour. Down through space, perhaps down through Orion's vast opening in the sky, Jesus starts toward earth with untold millions of angels. No longer a baby in a stable, helpless in his mother's arms. No longer a baby on his mother, in his mother's arms, bouncing along in a donkey, fleeing into Egypt from Herod. No longer a 12-year-old boy speaking in the temple, astounding the theologians of that day. No, no longer. No longer 
soaking up the earth with his blood on that cross. No longer false accusations being hurled at him. Now he comes down through space with countless angels to awaken the dead who have gone to their rest, according to scripture. He welcomes the living who trust and love him to bring eternity to them. Bringing in an invitation to this great banquet and feast portrayed in Revelation 19 to serve us fruit from the tree of life where we'll eat peaches and mangoes forever and other things we can't even imagine. Those who were mainly responsible for his death on the cross, we are told, will be raised to see him coming. Annas, Caiaphas, Herod, the one who slapped him, the one that put the sack over his head? I think so. They'll be standing there with their knees knocking and sweaty palms, realizing the terrible, terrible mistake that they've made. After his mighty resurrection, he met his disciples outside the city of Jerusalem. Dr. Luke tells us in Luke 24, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them, and he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Jesus had been with mankind in our world as a human for some 33 years. He had been scorned, insulted, persecuted, rejected, hung on a cross and died, and then he was resurrected. What were his last thoughts to his disciples and to the world and to you and I? What were they? Were they thoughts of condemnation and judgment for our sinful condition? No, they were words of comfort, wonderful comfort recorded in Matthew 28. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Scripture is clear. Through the Holy Spirit which he sent, he never left this world. We will never leave it as long, and he will never leave it as long as his people who love him are waiting for his return. This same Jesus, not a spirit form, but one of the disciples had talked to, eaten, touched, whose voice they heard, whose face they had seen, this same one promised to return, and he will. Remember, after the resurrection met with the disciples, in that room where they were fearful and hiding for their lives, they thought, Jesus suddenly appeared, said, I'm hungry. Do you have some fish and bread here? On the Lake of Galilee, that foggy morning, when Peter was out fishing, discouraged, broken-hearted with the other disciples, they saw this figure on the shore. Told them, I'm prepared breakfast for you here. Got some fish and some biscuits. That same Jesus, he will retain his humanity throughout eternity. The first wonder of the second coming of Jesus is lightning. The glory of Jesus' return to earth is an event that we cannot even imagine. Matthew 16 tells us, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of the Father and with his angels. Jesus will come in the clouds with his glory, his Father's glory, and the angels' glory, for Matthew 25 says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. 
The threefold glory is again prophesied in Luke 9. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words. Oh friends, there's very valuable words here. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words. Of him shall the son of man be ashamed. When he shall come in his own glory. And his father and the holy angels. This glory will transcend anything man has ever witnessed. From Matthew again we have all the nations of the earth will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky, and behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him. Some skeptics have said, well, that's impossible. The earth is round, the planet's round, and he's coming here, and how do they see over there? I don't, I don't get into that. God said it will happen. I think he has a way of bending light rays, whatever, however he wants to. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and his Father and the holy angels. Oh, yeah. The glory will transcend anything we have ever witnessed. What a prophecy, what a promise. Every eye will see. Matthew also tells us Jesus' own words speaking to his disciples. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. may have mentioned this before. It just comes to me now. We were on our way out to Mission Field, and it stopped Hawaii, and then, I don't know, what other, Korea, and finally got to Taiwan somehow out there. Are busy with four children and all these things. So anyway, can't remember all the sequence, but anyway, we were in, we were in Taiwan, in those days, I hadn't flown on too many airplanes, and I always liked, well, I looked up at the sky before we took off to see clouds, any lightning up there or anything. It bothered me to do that, I mean, to go up there with the lightning. I didn't like that. So it was Friday evening, and we were in this place at the hospital. We have an Adventist hospital in Taiwan, and we were staying there as guests. And I looked out the window, oh my, off in the distance, thunder like you've never heard, lightning like you've never seen. And I had to fly out on Sunday. And here I am, a worried missionary on Friday night. <laughs> lightning, yes, okay. I, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Brighter than the brightest flash man has ever seen. And it will continue as Jesus rides down through the skies. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the face of Jesus shone as the sun, according to Scripture. And the disciples fell down as they looked at him. And the voice of God came down from heaven at that moment saying that Jesus was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. And then he said, hear what he has to say. When Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, the scriptures say that he was, Jesus was glorified in the heavens. And the glory was exceedingly bright, brighter than the sun. Saul was blinded. Hebrews tells us our God is a consuming fire. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he'd been with Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights up there. Can you imagine that? And his face shone so bright that he had to veil his face so that the children of Israel, for the children of Israel, even look on Moses. How about the glory of the angels coming with Jesus? Well, when one angel rolled away the stone, the resurrection scene... The tomb of Jesus, his brightness caused a guard of Roman soldiers to fall down as dead men. And I ask you, if the glory of one angel could cause Roman soldiers to fall down, those toughened, hard soldiers, 
and be as dead men and shake the earth with a mighty earthquake. Just imagine what a million angels or 10,000 times a million angels would be. It is beyond our understanding. Jesus' own words recorded in Matthew 24 are as follows, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall be all tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the man, Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus also warns, Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. For I am not there, is what he's saying. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Don't believe it. My coming will be as the lightning that you've never seen. No one will miss this event. Glory beyond glory and lightning as man has never seen. The second wonder is sound. So we have the greatest light show of all time, but that's not all. There will also be the greatest trumpet sound of all time. It is very, very, very noisy. Matthew 24 tells us, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Paul also adds in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. God's going to play a trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So Jesus himself shouts and plays on a trumpet. The entire universe will hear it. Certainly every man, woman, and child on earth that is alive will hear it. The greatest lightning and thunder show of all time. The glory of the lightning and the trumpets knows no limits. But there is much more. For Revelation tells us, Jesus speaking through John, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man could know but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. May we never forget that. Throughout the, throughout the countless ages of eternity, Jesus' robe will be stained with crimson to remind us as to why we're there. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule with a rod of iron. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Next, John records the invitation to the redeemed to come to the great supper in heaven. Jesus no longer a babe in a stable, as we've said. He's now riding down through the space to planet Earth to take his loved ones home. The third wonder, a mighty earthquake. Everyone will feel his coming. Earthquakes are frightening things. I well remember as a young boy, I think I was probably eight or nine years old in Longview, Washington. I was sick, kind of sick. So I stayed home that day from school. I will never forget looking out the window of our kitchen through my mother's violets. She had violets all over the place, plants, flowers, violets. And I saw, in my mind it's still vivid, I saw the cement sidewalk 
heave like this and the ground heave like this. Well, I was shaking. I saw it. I'll never forget it. That was a mighty earthquake for me. It turned out to be the day of the great earthquake. I will never forget, or forget this. It was like an unseen force was just doing this thing. There have been many mighty earthquakes in the history of this earth. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a mighty earthquake. When the angel rolled away the stone, there was another mighty earthquake. This was just one angel. Imagine what millions will do. When the angel came down to let Peter out of prison, as recorded in the book of Acts, there was again a mighty earthquake. One or two angels. They opened the prison doors. The one we're talking about now outdoes all of these. Let us listen in on John writing about it in Revelation 16, 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since man were upon the face of the earth, so mighty and so great. And every island fled away, and mountains, mountains were not found. No one will miss this earthquake. The earth is not stable. It will be shaking violently. How can it be that Jesus says, says to us, Be not afraid. Peace be unto you. Comfort one another. And I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Then Isaiah says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. How long? Forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. If we really know him, we will not be afraid. There it is, if we really know him. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will not be afraid. This is one earthquake we can rejoice about. Our Savior has come to take us home to our real home. We're just strangers passing through this world now. The fourth wonder, the fourth wonder of the second coming of Jesus is eternal life. When King Jesus comes riding down through the skies with millions of angels, as we catch our first glimpse of him, new life from him will surge through our bodies like a rushing mountain stream, rejuvenating everything in our mortal bodies and eliminating every weakness. This is what the scripture tells us will happen. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy victory? Your glass is gone, your heart disease gone, your cancer's gone. Arthritis gone, no more medications. Hallelujah. We will be perfectly well, never to know sickness again. From the deepest ocean depths, from the marble tombs, where the bombs have blown people apart, Jesus will raise people to life. The author of all life will bring forth those who have gone before. Listen in on Jesus' promise to us. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall, have you got it? Shall hear his voice and shall come forth. 
John 5, 28 and 29. To Martha he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John eleven twenty five. To his disciples in John six forty four, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. What a promise of eternal life. Anxiety, pain, and death gone forever. Instead, peace, joy, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. The dark night of sin is gone. And we will hear the greatest story ever told. The story of redemption from Jesus' own lips. Can you imagine these announcements that will come in heaven, perhaps on Friday night? They are announcing Friday Vespers, saying, Well, today, tonight, we will hear the same angel choir that sang for the shepherds over the hills of Bethlehem. The night Jesus was born. Then later, another announcement. Jesus will be the featured speaker tonight for church. This coming Sabbath, and he will explain how he created the earth from nothing. Created it from nothing. During the next million years, his subject will be the redemption story. A tourist came to a beautiful villa on the shore of a lovely lake in Switzerland, far off the beaten path. He knocked at the garden gate and was admitted by an aged caretaker who seemed to be glad to see him. He showed him around the flower-bordered walks. They were absolutely beautiful and perfect. How long have you been here? asked the stranger. Oh, 24 years, he said. How often does the owner come here? Four times in 24 years. When was he last here? Oh, about 12 years ago. He writes often, I suppose. Never once. From whom do you receive your pay? From the agent on the mainland, he said. Does he come often? No, he's never been here. Who does come then? I'm almost always alone. It's only seldom that a visitor like yourself drops in. Yet you have the garden in perfect order. Perfect order. Everything flourishing as if you expected your master to come tomorrow. Oh no, he says. No, no. As if you'll come today. So let us review. The greatest event in history is the second coming of Jesus. That, that takes nothing away from the resurrection. Nothing away from the birth of Jesus. There will be the glory of millions of angels surrounding Jesus as he rides down through the skies. He will shine brighter than the sun and every eye will see him. This is the first wonder. The second wonder is the greatest trumpet show of all time. Jesus and the angels announcing the greatest event in history. No one will miss it. Everyone alive will hear it. The third wonder, everyone will feel the greatest earthquake of all time. Those that are saved without any fear at all. The creation recognizes its creator, and the quake is a response. Everyone will feel it. The fourth wonder, the dead in Christ will rise. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. We remember that we are his by right of his creation of us. We remember that we also are his by the fact of his redeeming us. By the fact that his 
Our, our names are in the prints of the nails of his hands. For the Lord himself, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. You heard the word shall? Shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump in God, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with those in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The truth is this. Jesus is coming in the clouds and it will happen. Jesus said his words will never fail, never be shaken and never change. The same yesterday, today, and forever, according to the good book. If I'm afraid of the second coming, it's still going to happen. If I do not want it to happen, it will still happen. If I rejoice for it to happen, it will happen. If I'm a soldier in a foxhole, it will still happen. If I'm the greatest general commanding the mightiest army on earth ever put together, it'll still happen. The general could not prevent it from happening. The plotting of the greatest politicians of all time could not prevent it from happening. The mightiest weapon man could make will not prevent it from happening. As Jesus said just before he died, hereafter you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Pilate heard those words. When he came to Herod on that awful night, Jesus said nothing because Herod's probation had closed. Jesus must reign. His victory is for sure and inevitable. The gates of hell cannot keep the man of Calvary from returning to this earth in glory and power to claim his redeemed ones, to establish his kingdom of righteousness. In Revelation 11 it tells us, he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus says he comes as announcing time is no more for earth and mankind. Everyone has made their choice for him or against him. We will either be standing with Satan and Caiaphas and Annas, the high priests, and those who put Jesus to death with their faces ashen and their knees knocking now. Or we will be standing with Adam and Eve and Abel, Queen Esther, Daniel, Isaiah, and all the rest. The Waldenses and all the heroes of the Reformation. Isaiah said that the redeemed will say these words, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. I like to say it a slightly different way. Lo, this is my God. He has, I have waited for him and he will save me. How can we be sure? How can we be sure to be waiting for Jesus' return, ready to go with him? Like that old Swiss gardener who said, No, not tomorrow, but today. My master might come today. The only way I know we can be ready is to infuse our minds with the Holy Scriptures to often read and repeat the words of that blessed hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, 
that would be a gift far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Second Timothy 4. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love, love his appearing. Amen. Marketplace is empty, no more traffic in the streets. All the builders' tools are silent, no more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors in the courtroom, no debate. Work on earth has been suspended As the king comes through the gate The king is coming The king is coming I just heard the trumpet sounding And now his face I see the King is coming, the King is coming, praise God, He's coming for me. Happy faces align the hallway. Those whose lives have been repeated And broken homes that he has mended Those from prison he set free Little children and the aged Hand in hand stand all aglow Those who are crippled, broken, ruined Clad in garments white as snow The King is coming The King is coming I just heard the trumpet sounding And now His face I see
Oh God, we're thankful to be here this morning, thankful for the scriptures that will impress our minds that your coming is near, but we have another chapter to the story. We're going home with you forever, eternity that we can't even imagine. Lord, help us to go from here with our souls burning love for you and a plan for the future. And as we leave, may we Never forget that as we leave here, we are entering the mission field. In Jesus' name, amen.